Well, good morning. That wasn't, you know, it's 10.30 in the morning. That was kind of sad. So, good morning. Thank you very much. Appreciate that. Uh, good to see everybody. Thanks for, for coming out. Kind of a cold day. I was, uh, last night I was looking over the face, because I know you guys all have to look at me, so I was looking over my face and um, making sure that I looked okay and thought, you know, I should probably shave and I was also thinking that maybe I should do something with my hair. Uh, and the reason for that was this. I was telling some people earlier, I was, you know, looking, you know, checking the ear here, you know, making sure everything is looking good. And, and I noticed on the top of my head, there was one. <laughs> I don't have very long hair, right? Um, but on the top of my head, even when it's long, it's not long. There's this little hair, and it's like this, and then beep, curled it. Just one little hair, top of my head sitting there. Yeah, kind of an alfalfa look, kind of. Uh, his is a little bit further back. Um, so anyways, I, oh, so I got up this morning and I shaved. The problem is I walked out without my hat on and uh, wow, that was, woo, um, was a little bit chilled this morning as I got here. Anyways, I want to thank uh, Jason for filling in, getting our series, uh, The Light Has Come, kicked off and as we're kind of approaching into Christmas and make sure you wish him a, a happy birthday because it's his birthday today. Is he in here? He's in him. So he's not in here. He's in um, So hopefully everything is good over there. Anyway, so it's his birthday, and um, <laughs> it's like, I'm supposed to know or I got. I'll just leave it go. You know, whatever. I saw he had a big box of donuts. Maybe he's you know eating all the donuts himself. So imagine if you can, and maybe it's good if you like closed your eyes, but imagine that you are born without sight. Okay, so think, I mean, the other side, so think about it, let's say you go blind now. Well, you've got however many years you've been alive seeing things that you can draw back on when people are talking about things. You'll know that the sky is blue, you know that the grass is green typically, and uh, you know, you know the different colors and that kind of stuff. I was, I was watching on YouTube, because I was thinking about maybe using some of this, but I decided not to. But anyways, on YouTube, they got people who are colorblind, they got the glasses now, and when they put glasses on, they can actually see color. Uh, it's pretty interesting to watch people respond when they can see, like, one of the things that was interesting, that most people were like, that's purple? You know, so they had a different view of what purple was. But anyways, but you're born blind. So you don't have any real concept of what anything looks like. Not only that, but you're born into a family where everyone was born blind. So they have no concept of anything. They can't even help you. And they were born into a, a town filled with people who were born spiritually, or, or I'm getting ahead of myself, born blind. So they couldn't even help. So when you think about it, something as simple as a stool, if, if a, a blind person was trying to describe it, they couldn't. There's, there's no concept of that. Now, a sighted person, a person who could see, may say, well, it has a seat, and they can maybe even feel it, and okay, that's kind of a seat. And then it has a place for your feet, and they could reach kind of further down, and it has a base. And can, so they can kind of get like, hmm, they can even use the words that people use for it. Yeah, this is a seat, and if you say something to somebody else, a stool, they kind of maybe have this idea that's curved and all that kind of, but they don't really have a concept of it. They, they couldn't draw it, they couldn't put, assemble it, they... There's no concept. It's the same thing with people who are in spiritual darkness, who are spiritually blind. 
when the Bible talks about spiritual, or when it talks about darkness and light, often it's talking about spiritual side of things, being spiritually in darkness or spiritually blind. And again, a spiritually blind person or a person that's in spiritual darkness, they, they may have a concept of who God is. They, they may have an idea, their idea of who God is, what God's supposed to do, why there's such a guy. Why was, they may have a concept, but they don't really know what the truth is. And they may even use words that people who have spiritual sight use, but again, they don't have a concept. They don't have an understanding of what it truly is, who God is, and what he is doing. And that's the world that Adam and Eve created for us. That, that's how the world today remains. That's, as people are around us who have not given their lives to Christ, they're in spiritual darkness. They, they don't understand and so because of sin, all are born into spiritual darkness. All of us have been. Those of us who have placed our faith in Christ, we were born in spiritual darkness. We were born with spiritual blindness. And so spiritual darkness has this idea of spiritual and physical death. That's what their sin brought into this world and brought through them to all of us. And it's a spiritual ignorance. They don't understand the spiritual things. Again, they can talk and use words that sound spiritual, but they're ignorant of the truth of what these spiritual things are. And it's, a, it's self-centered. Adam and Eve showed us that. It's focused on self. It's them saying, I'm going to be the God of my life. And everybody who was born into this world, they come out and it's going to be their, it's, they're going to be the God of their life. They'll decide for themselves what they should do and what they shouldn't do. It's actually the core of every conflict right? Whether it's between two individuals or a group, a group of people or uh, um, even countries, a global conflict, it's always, I know better than you what something should be. The problem is the you that you know better than, they're also thinking that they know better than you. And so now you have conflict. And so in our world is filled with, with conflict. In fact, this is how God views us just in and of ourselves when we're born. And now this is Paul, and he's talking to Christians, saying, hey, remember back when? And he's saying, and you were dead, and your trespasses and sins. So God looks at us, those as we're spiritually dead, spiritually dark, and he says, the reason for that is because you are spiritually dead. There is no life in you, spiritually speaking. Again, you can use words, you can... Think that you are, but from God's perspective, and his perspective is what matters, we're spiritually dead. Paul goes on in 2 Corinthians, and he says this, And even if our gospel, this good news that brings spiritual life and sight, is veiled, or hidden, it is veiled to those who are perishing, to the spiritually dead. In whose case the God of this world, speaking of Satan, has blinded the minds of the unbelieving, so they may not see the light, of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. First of all, let me just rep- did, you, did you see my Christmas colors up there? Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. Look at, and they're alternating. Look at that. Red, green, red, green, red. <sighs> because I care. It's because I care. Anyways, so let's get back to what's important. So Paul even says, yeah, we're spiritually blind. We're in spiritual darkness. But even Satan, 
He influences us and distracts people from understanding the light. So there's not only it's in us, but Satan is doing his work of trying to distract us, trying to blind us to keep us from understanding God's truth. God needs to do something. This is not something that we can do for ourselves. This is the condition that unless God does something that we live in, and sadly, that we'll die in and spend eternity in spiritual darkness, in, as Scripture tells us, in eternity in hell because of our sin. So God has to do something. And we know that somehow God has to give us light, has to give us spiritual light. And so the spiritual light is a God-centered thing. It's giving us spiritual life, it's giving us the ability to understand uh, His Word and what He wants of us and what He wants to do in and through us. It's, it's God-centered. It's saying, I'm going to focus on God. I am not the God of my life. God is the God of my life. He knows better than I do how I should do life. He's the one who's going to protect me. He's the one who's going to provide for me. He's the one who's going to fight for me. He's the one who's going to give me the wisdom I need to do life the way I need to do life. I don't have to rest on myself. And that God's going to do that. It's and this is the something that God has to do. In fact, going further in Ephesians 2, Paul tells us this, But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, so while we're laying there spiritually dead, can't do anything for ourselves, God made us alive together with Christ by grace. There's this gift you have been given. It's the opportunity to be saved. The only one who can do the something that we need, the only one who can give us a spiritual CPR, if you want to put it that way, put the spiritual paddles to us, is the infinitely powerful and merciful and loving God. And so today, we're as we progress in this series, we are talking about the promise of light, the, the promise of of this opportunity that God has given us. And as soon as Adam and Eve sin, God steps in and he gives us the promise that he's going to do the something that needs to be done and it's found in Genesis 3.15. Now, again, this is God speaking to the servant. Serpent, Adam and Eve have sinned. God's giving out the curses, his discipline, uh, judgment on, on for their sin. And he says that I will put enmity, this lingering hostility, between you and the woman, and between your seed or your descendants, those who follow you, and her seed. He, speaking of a descendant of Eve, shall bruise or crush you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the heel. So this is a pretty pretty cool thing. The first thing is, Right after Adam and Eve sinned, God doesn't wait very long to say, hey, listen, you're not going to remain in this spiritual death, this spiritual darkness. I've got a plan for you. Now, they call this the Proto-Evangelium. That's Latin for the first preaching of the gospel. And so that's what the scholars call it. And you can impress your friends and family at Christmas now, and you can read that passage and say, that's the Proto-Evangelium. Right there. You know, you're not very impressed. Anyways, I thought you might be. Uh, another author said it's, it's God declaring war 
on Satan, that he was going to do something. Now, I just want to, I, I mentioned this, uh, it was free for the 9 o'clock service, and so I'm going to give this to you as, as a free piece of information that I was thinking about, it's not in my notes, so again, I won't charge you for it. Um, and that's this. When Adam and Eve sinned, what did they do? Remember, Jason was talking about this last week. Did they go seek for God? No. Left to themselves, they hid themselves from God. They had brought death, spiritual darkness into their life. And instead of searching for God, they hid themselves. So what did God have to do? God had to search for them. Isn't that awesome? People who are in spiritual darkness, God is going to search for them. He's going to go to them. He's going to try to get their attention, which he does with Adam and Eve. And we find out later on you know, that God, um, that they were wearing leaves to cover themselves because now they were embarrassed with how they looked. They were very self-focused. They were embarrassed. And so God killed an animal and gave them some animal skin to wear to cover. And so we have this understanding again of, of death covering sin. And so we understand that Adam and Eve in that sense were restored to God. But he said there's going to be animosity. There's going to be enmity and hostility between Eve's descendants and between Satan's descendants. Those that are in spiritual darkness are going to be hostile towards those who are in spiritual light, spiritual understanding. And we see that right away with Cain and Abel. Cain kills Abel. And from that point forward, there has been hostility towards those who want to follow after God, who are, who are in the spiritual light, as it were, by those who are in spiritual darkness. God also says he's going to use a descendant of Eve to crush Satan's head. This is really cool stuff. It says the seed of the woman. That phrase is only ever used in this verse. Never again in the Bible is the idea of a seed of the woman used. It's always a seed of the man, a descendant of the man. It's the seed of Abraham, right? The seed of Isaac, the seed of David. It may reference a woman, but it's always a seed of the man. But looking back on it, what we know now, Jesus, this is another indication that Jesus is the one who is the light because Mary, she was able to conceive because of God the Holy Spirit, not Joseph. Jesus was the seed of a woman, not of Joseph. And so it says that Satan is going to crush or, or bruise in this case, we see it, Jesus heal. So again, believing this is Jesus, Satan was able to crush or bruise Jesus' heel because he got mankind to get him on the cross. And Jesus dies. But it's only his heel. Why? Because he rose from the dead. Satan did not have victory over Jesus. Jesus, on the other hand, he crushes Satan's head. That's a death blow. And he did that on the cross when he rose from the dead by removing the power that Satan can have over us. The, the power that sin has over us if we would just give our life to him. And so we know that Jesus has taken God's judgment for us. He has removed that power from us 
He's eventually going to have complete victory when he sends Satan and all those who follow him, who choose not to take God's way out, into what the Bible calls a lake of fire in Revelation 20. Now, there, there's other Old Testament passages that talk about this one who's going to come, this Messiah, and we understand it's talking about Jesus Christ, but um, we're going to look at some that are a little more associated with Christmas that we remember from our Christmas stories. And so we're going to look at Isaiah. And Isaiah has probably the, the majority of prophecies concerning this coming Messiah, this coming child, this coming one who's going to bring God's blessing and light to the world. Um, and a lot of New Testament writers refer back to Isaiah. Even Jesus himself refers back to Isaiah in a sense of claiming that he is the one Isaiah is talking about. So here's what I want to do. I'm going to go through some slides. These notes are um, up on the website. You can grab them if you want. You can ask the ladies to make copies of my notes. But I just want to go through just some of these, and then we're going to we're going to go back and look at one passage, right? So we're going to fly through these. First of all, Jesus claimed God's, God's glory and power to reveal or hide himself from people, which is also what God claims the power to do. So he's making himself one with God. So Isaiah 6 talks about that. John 12, Jesus claims that. There's a, a sign of a child. This is actually what we're going to be talking about. There's a sign of a child, virgin. Uh, that's Isaiah 7. And Matthew 1 tells us that, referring back to... Uh, Isaiah. There's going to be light. Actually, this is the one we're going to talk about this morning. Light brought to Zebulun and Naphtali. It's, a, it's an area of, um, of Israel, northern Israel. A son will be born who will carry the government and reign forever. Isaiah talks about it. Matthew, John, and Luke, they talk about it. A shoot from Jesse or King David's lineage. There's going to be one who comes from King David. The spirit will rest on his shoulders. He will do what God says. Isaiah says that's going to happen. Matthew, Mark, and Luke say it's Jesus. The cornerstone rejected by man. Isaiah brings it up. Matthew and Peter talk about that, referring to Jesus. The deaf would hear, the blind would see. Isaiah says that's going to happen with some guy who's coming. And Matthew, it's Jesus who's doing it. John the Baptist, there's going to be one crying out in the wilderness. There's going to be one coming after me. Isaiah talks about that. And Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John refer to John the Baptist doing that. There's Jesus calling his ministry and the fact that he'll be pleasing the Father. Isaiah talks about it. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and Peter. No, not John up there. Uh, uh, Peter uh, talk about that fact. The fact that there's going to be one who's beaten and their beard is pulled out and spit on. Isaiah 50 talks about that. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John talk about that. Uh, one who's determined to accomplish the mission. Isaiah talks about it. Luke says Jesus was determined uh, to accomplish the mission. And look at this one. All aspects of the crucifixion. Read through Isaiah 53. And as you're reading through it, you're just saying, Jesus, 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 Jesus. And look at all the references in the New Testament that point back to Isaiah and what Isaiah said about what Jesus or what this one who would come was going to have to go through. Again, you can download those. They're in my notes. Really small font. Um, but you can go ahead and take those, cut and paste them, and read them for yourself. The one I want to focus on this morning, though, is from Isaiah 9. And so look what he says, um, what Isaiah says. He says, But there will be no more gloom for, who, who, uh, for her who is in anguish. In other words, those living in spiritual darkness, uh, in, particularly in Judah. In earlier times, he, speaking of God, treated the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali with contempt. In other words, they're, they're up in northern Israel, 
uh, and, and that God was, had disciplined them for disobeying by allowing Assyria to come in. I'll explain that in a little bit. But later he shall make it glorious by the way of the sea, on the other side of the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. This area is really kind of more of a non-Jewish region at this point. The people who walk in darkness, those with spiritual darkness, will see a great light. Those who live in a dark land, the light will shine on them. You, speaking of God, shall multiply the nation. You shall increase their gladness. Uh, they will be, in, uh, be glad in your presence as with the gladness of harvest, as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. For you shall break the yoke of their burden and the staff on their shoulders um, and the rod of their oppressor as at the battle of Midian. So Isaiah is saying, you remember back at that battle, back during the time of the judges, when 300 farmers went up against 135 uh, soldiers of Midian, 135,000 soldiers. Remember how God took that victory? That's what God's going to do in the future. For every boot of the booted warrior in the battle tumult and cloak rolled in blood will be for burning, fuel for the fire. So God's going to you know, make this destruction definite. Now when will this take place? Well, it'll start when, for a child will be born to us. A son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful. Look at these names. Wonderful Counselor. This child will be called Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. So this light that this region is going to see is going to be a child, and that child is going to be God. That's what Isaiah is saying here. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David or over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. So we know, again, I'm not going to get old, but we know that when we give our lives to Christ, he becomes the king of our lives. And so he reigns in our life. And then we also know from what the Bible tells us, sometime in our future, Jesus is coming back. He's going to reign on earth. He's going to have a uh, a, a throne here on earth from which he's going to reign over the entire world. And then when he destroys this world, he's going gonna, gonna to be the eternal state, the new heaven and new earth, according to Revelation. So he's going to be over all that. The zeal, this deep commitment of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. In other words, God is going to make this happen. So what's going on with Israel and Judah at this time? Why? Why is this prophecy, this promise, this, hey, this is what's going to happen in the future, why is this happening? Well, by now, Israel has been in the promised land, the land that God said that they were going to have, that he was going to provide for them. They've been in there for about 700 years, a little over 700 years. Now, just to kind of give some comparison, our nation has been a nation for about 240 plus years, 246, something like that. You did the math, I'm not really sure, but I think 246 is what my calculator told me. So we haven't been around very long. In our history of our nation, there's been far more history in this world than what's going on in our nation, right? So we just kind of get some perspective. So they've been in the nation, in the, in the land, for 700 years. Before entering the land, so 700 years previous, God, in Deuteronomy 28, says to Israel as a nation, hey, I want to be your God. Would you want me to be your God? And they all said, yes, we want you to be our God. So, so they said, okay, he said, okay, I'll be your God. So they, they, by faith, as a nation, they became his people. All right? And so he says, okay, now that we're in relationship, I want to let you know 
some things as your God and as your father in that sense. I want you to know some things. First of all, I am going to bless you. I'm going to make sure you have everything you need to be successful as a nation in this world, by the way, it's going to come after you because you're of the light in that sense. And so I'm going to give you everything you need. Just obey me. Sounds very similar to Adam and Eve, doesn't it? I'm going to give you everything you need. You got everything. Just, just don't do that one. Don't eat from that fruit of that tree. Just don't do that. If you don't do that, everything is yours. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to bless you. And it would have remained perfect as well. But like Adam and Eve, Israel, who were born spiritual darkness in that sense, they have this opportunity. Things kind of start out okay. And then Israel kind of does this. And by the time at the end of King Solomon's reign till Isaiah, which is about 200 years, Israel starts making a decision as a nation, and the kings are kind of leading this, to live in spiritual darkness. They know the light. They know the truth. They know what they're supposed to do in order to do life God's way and be blessed by him. But they're making a choice, the vast majority of them, to go the route of living in darkness, to do life the way the nations were doing, how everybody else in the world was doing at the time. And in fact, as you look back on it, you see that there's, you know, as the prophets talk to Israel, they they are lying, they're cheating, uh, they're hypocritical. You know, they're going to the temple to worship God, but then they're also going to these other um, temples and and worshiping the gods of the nations around them. Um, They're killing people cheating people. In fact, it even says that King Solomon, the wisest man in the world, right? Is what the Bible calls him. King Solomon at the end of his reign, and even King Ahaz, the one that Isaiah is dealing with, that they made the choice to go ahead to sacrifice children for these other gods. Because they thought, well, if we do that, then that God's going to bless us. It's kind of like what happens in our world, right? This world's about me, what I want, what I need. And, and so people make choices for themselves. And so they, they were doing this. And, and so going back to what God said to Israel, I will bless you, but listen, if, if you decide to start living in darkness, then I, as your God who loves you, who cares about you, who doesn't want you to continue to hurt yourself or hurting others, I'm going to discipline you. I'm going to take away the blessing so you can't continue to do what you're doing, that you'll have to come back to me. And if it gets really bad, what I'm going to do is, I'm going to take the nations that you think are better for you, and I'm going to have them take you over. And so Israel, I forgot to tell you, what, what happened after Solomon was also the fact that in all this desire to live the way the nations lived, there was a division in the nation. And so the northern kingdom took the name Israel, or kept the name Israel. The southern kingdom took the name Judah. We're familiar with that from our Joseph series, right? And so Israel had been overrun by Assyria. And so now Isaiah is saying to Judah, the same thing is going to happen to you if you don't get back to God. This is a warning shot over the bow. And just another piece of maybe challenge that's um, free for us is if we're here this morning, if we've placed our faith in Jesus Christ, 
If we have that spiritual light and life in us, but we're choosing to live life the way the world lives, to live in darkness, Israel is a is an example for us. It's a warning shot in our lives. We need to get back to God, to what God has done for us, to the relationship that He wants to have for us, that, that, that we would reconnect with Him. It's not that we've lost that relationship, but we are walking away, and He's a good God. In fact, Christians who walk in darkness, there is a tension, an anxiety, an uncertainty that God allows there. And the reason for that is to bring us back to Him. I've been there. I've, I've experienced that. We need to get back to God. Well, anyway, so God tells Isaiah to tell Judah that despite their current darkness, the fact that Assyria is at the doorstep, they're ready to come in, that God is going to do something, that there's going to be hope because God's going to bring a light to their darkness. And, and there's things that we talked about or read through there, but we're not going to. Just to for, the point is this, that there's going to be a child who is born, who is God, and who's going to reign forever. Now, here's where it all comes together. Look what Matthew has to say in his gospel, coming out of Matthew 4. So now when Jesus heard that John the Baptist had been taken into custody, he withdrew into Galilee. So leaving Nazareth, so they're up in northern Israel now, and he's at his hometown. He, he came and settled in Capernaum. So he moves south or northeast to Nazareth, which, by the way, is by the sea in the region of Zebulun and Naphtali, at which we should all go, hmm, right? So why did Jesus do this? Well, this was to fulfill what was spoken through Isaiah the prophet. Now, Matthew goes back to the Old Testament. That's why it's capitalized. He's not yelling at you. He goes, The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who were sitting in darkness saw a great light, and those who were sitting in the land in shadow of death, and death was kind of hanging over them, upon them a light dawned. From that time... Jesus began to preach and say, repent. In other words, change your thinking in the direction of your life for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So I want to hit three real quick points here coming out of this. Because what Matthew is saying is Jesus is the light that is shining on mankind, is shining into the darkness. And so the first point is this. The light is a person. All right? The light is a, is a person. Jesus wasn't just walking around aimlessly and just kind of doing whatever he felt like. He came to, to die on the cross and rise again, but in the process of it, he was also fulfilling Old Testament prophecy so that we would understand that this is, in fact, God, the one that the Old Testament writers were telling us about. By the way, Jesus makes the claim of being the light numerous times in the Gospel of John. So you have to come back in, on January 1st, start the year off on the 1st of January, and we're going to start going through John, the Gospel of John, and we'll see it all the times that Jesus talks about being the light. Now, why is this important? It's because the light is not a concept. It's a person. 
It's not some nebulous thing that's in us that, you know, you talk to somebody and say, you know, somebody will say, you know, I really, you're just a really nice person. I can really see that light in you. There just seems to be a good light in you. Have you ever heard that? Well, I have. Anyways. Um, but, you know, I just, you know, it's just kind of this nebulous, not really sure what it is, but it's kind of a spiritual thing, you know, and so you like to hearing it. Yeah, I have a nice light in me. It's not a religious um, rituals or religious traditions that bring the light. It's, it's a person. It's Jesus Christ in this case. Secondly, the light contains a message. And the message is repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, we don't, you know, really talk like that today. I get that. You're not going to walk around and tell, hey, repent. Kingdom of heaven is at hand. You know, if I, you know, send you out. Matthew, later on in Matthew chapter 4, he calls it the gospel of the kingdom. And what he's talking about here is this, there is this good news that there is spiritual light given to a spiritually dark world, that we who are in spiritual darkness can have spiritual light. And so what is it that sparks the light? What is it that brings um, Jesus Christ into our life? What's the, the switch that we need to flip to get the lights on, spiritually speaking? It's this idea of repenting. And repenting is a, a complete change of life due to a change of heart or attitude. So it's in our hearts saying, okay, I'm going to turn from how I'm living life. I'm going to turn from me being the God of my life, and I'm going to let God be the God of my life. He should be anyways. He's our creator. I'm going to stop reigning as king of my life, in a sense, and I'm going to let God reign as king of my life. It's asking God to remove the spiritual darkness. The way he removes the spiritual darkness is forgiving our sin, because the sin that makes us spiritually dark. And so we ask God to remove our sin, forgive us of our sin. We ask him, give us spiritual life. And that all comes through believing that Jesus, God the Son, died on the cross, took God's judgment for us. And by believing that, by putting our full weight of trust on that, by allowing God to be the one who um, cares for us spiritually and physically, then that there is forgiveness of sin. And there's a restored relationship with God. And there's spiritual life as His Holy Spirit is in us. And then finally, the message is for all people. Again, there's a reason why Jesus uh, went up to Zebulon and Naphtali, not just to fulfill the, the prophecy about him, but it talks about the area of the Gentiles. It, Assyria had come in uh, way before Judah was taken over, hundred and some years before. And so they, what they do is they take the Israelites, they move them out, and they take them to their cities in Assyria, and then they take their people and they put them into the area of Zebulon and Naphtali. And so then those people, with any remaining Jewish people, they intermarried. And so this had Jewish people, this had mixed race people, and this had non-Jewish people, a large majority of them. And so what Jesus was doing by going up there was not just saying, okay, Isaiah's prophecy is going to be true, but he wants the Gentiles, the non-Jewish people, you and me to know that this message is for us as well, not just for Israel, but for us. The Old Testament said this numerous times. Israel missed the point. 
And so Jesus comes to make sure we all know we're all included. We all have the opportunity to be removed from spiritual darkness to give them spiritual light. Now how can Matthew and Jesus and other authors say that Jesus is the light? For sure. Well, you have to come back on Thursday or Friday or Saturday because we're going to be talking about how is it that Jesus is the one who's definitely the light. But for this morning, uh, what, do we, what can we take away from this? This is our takeaway time. So the band comes up. Uh, just a few things that we need to kind of consider uh, different people in our room here this morning. First of all, are you sitting here this morning and you would have to say, yeah, I'm in spiritual darkness. I don't have a relationship with God. I've, I've never asked God to forgive me my sins. I, I don't know him in a personal way. Then your takeaway for today is to make that happen, is to turn, repent, turn from how you're doing life and how you're thinking and turn to the way God wants you to think. And that starts with you saying, God, I'm spiritually in darkness. I'm spiritually dead and I need spiritual life. And I ask you to forgive me of my sins. Remove that sin and put into me then spiritual life, which again is God the Holy Spirit. And that's something that you can do right here, right now. It's something you can do during the last song. It's something you can do at home. And something else, I stole this from Alistair Begg this morning, literally. I was driving to church, Alistair Begg, pastor over in Cleveland, was speaking on the radio, and he said this, something along these lines. Um, he says it a lot better because he's got a brogue accents from like Ireland or whatever. So, you know, I love you. God loves you. And I go, oh. Anyways, but he said this. I'm going to rephrase it to my way. Don't take my word for it. Don't ever take my word for anything. Take God's word for it. And by that I mean this. If you're, if you're gutsy enough, if you really want to make this, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to check this out. You gotta be, you gotta be tough. You gotta be gutsy because you're gonna go up against God. Then start reading in the Gospel of John. Let Jesus tell you about it. Let Jesus slide up alongside of you, and as you're reading it, let Him tell you who He is. Again, don't take my word for it. I, I'm just a messenger. I've done it for myself, and never will I turn back from that. But you do that yourself. Secondly. Maybe you're here this morning, you have spiritual life. You've, you've placed your faith in Christ, but you're currently living in darkness. You're currently saying, no, I'm going to do it my way. I know what God says about what I'm supposed to do, but I'm going to keep doing it my way. Listen, don't disrespect your Savior and Lord. He's the one who died for you. He's the one who had his beard pulled out, who was slapped and punched, who was spit on, who had a, a, a spear shoved up through his side, had a crown of thorns on his head. He did that for you to not have to live in darkness, not continue walking in darkness. Don't disrespect them. Get your act together and get back with Christ. Or just give up all of it then. And then, thirdly, if you're living in spiritual light and you want to do life God's way, then you need to make that light shine. And the best way to do that this week is to invite people to come to church because then I do all the work for you. You just sit there. And then I do what I do and you have to apologize to your friends or family who don't know Christ. Oh, he's just that way. Just don't worry about it. Just listen to the message. He's scary. I get it. But do that and then have a conversation with him afterwards. You don't have to know everything. 
You get to go back to the Word and find out the answers to have questions. But let the light shine through you. Let Christ shine through you. Let's go ahead and stand. We'll close this off.